0: We are live from Miami for another nitro. Welcome to James Scremetta's Wondrous Wrestling Show. The Wondrous is not in the title. That was just for flair. Please do not call it James Comato's Wondrous Wrestling Show. That's really hard to remember. We did the first we did the first nitro last week. And it was from the Mall of America. Very interesting event, very different event. And so the nitro that we are recapping, reviewing, and talking about today is the first ever Nitro in a proper arena. It is worth noting that when I first saw this, I was like, man, that looks like the set that I remember. They changed very little. The Nitro set looks like the Nitro set because it is the Nitro set. Uh, It does not evolve much over the next couple of years. It pretty much stays the same. So when you go back and watch this or if you're watching this on YouTube or whatever and you kind of see the set, yeah, it's, it's Nitro, all right? It is Nitro, baby. So it feels good. Thank you for listening to the first episode. And this, again, before we get into this, let me remind you. So we do an audio version on wherever podcasts are sold. And then we do a video version that just has some pictures, some very brief video stuff like that. So if you want to find that, go to YouTube, search James Scremetta on Wrestling. And you will find it there. We have uh, all kind of fun stuff there. So thanks. So let's get into the show. This show was on 9/11 1995 and it is live again from Miami and we start off with the talking heads of Heenan Bischoff and Mongo. They recap last week and we get to our first match. our first match, Sabu is making his debut against another debutante, the dancing God himself Das Wonder Kid or Das Vanda Kid Alex Wright uh, Alex Wright, man what a, what a talent. What a talent. It's crazy, because this this is ninety-five. And Alex Wright looks like he could go into the ring today. I mean, he has that look. He has the look exactly how you'd want a wrestler to look. He's got kind of the mid nineties blonde, long, slick back hair. His body looks fantastic. Pause. Start back. His body looks fantastic. I mean, he's athletic. He's he's great face. I mean, Alex Wright Right now, like, watching this is like, man, okay, Alex Wright, maybe you got a chance. Now, this, this, is, this is kind of the crux of WCW, like, one of the bigger problems in WCW. And this actually becomes a storyline much later on with Billy Kidman. But a problem with WCW is, so when I'm, when I'm watching this, in my notes, I say, I wonder why Alex Wright didn't get a bigger push. And then in my notes... I talk to myself and say, well, maybe because the people at the top are Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Lex Luger, Ric Flair. I mean, there's nowhere to go. And this isn't even counting when Nash and Hall and Bret Hart and all them get there. WCW was incredibly top-heavy. And, you know, I'm not counting Sting, I'm not counting Booker T. It, It was one of those places where It was kind of two leagues in one. It was two federations in one. You had the big dogs, the big draws of Luger, Hogan, Sting, Savage, Flair. And you had them kind of running their show and them kind of running their own federation. And then you had the actual younger wrestlers just trying to make a name for themselves. And there's just nothing for them to do. There's nowhere for them to go. And I think that's why the United States Championship became so prestigious in WCW, because if you could even get there, if you could even get to that second tier championship, you were you were had a you were having a hell of a run, because to even get there, you know, to to not or to take a title away from the the big dogs, you had to really be doing something right. Much less get to the World Championship. So this this kind of is a you know, I'm not saying Alex Wright should have been world champion, but when you see someone like Alex Wright and he has all the intangibles and you realize he never gets really a push, this is why, you know. So it's Sabu versus Alex Wright. We knew Sabu was debuting because Bischoff told us in the middle of the scrum with, with Flash Norton. And uh we didn't know about Alex Wright, but this is their their opportunity here. So Alex Wright starts off just drop kicks, missile drop kicks, cross bodies. I mean, he's everywhere. Like he's he is he is carrying this whole situation. He's super athletic. He's flying around the ring. And Sabu... I, I respect ECW, but ECW was good despite some of the wrestlers. And people like the Sandman and Sabu, who all they could do was get drunk and swing a kendo stick or jump off chairs. When you take away the ECW and just let them try and be wrestlers... They just fail. And not only do they fail, but they're incredibly dangerous while they're failing. And that's kind of how this match was. Everything Sabu did looked brutal. And not brutal like, oh wow, this is really stiff. Brutal like, oh, he's going to kill this kid. Or, oh, this is an actual, like he's actually assaulting him. You know, Stuff like that. It wasn't, it didn't look good. I didn't like it. I didn't like anything Sabu had going on. And so the finish of the match... Alex Wright hits a backflip into a German suplex and Sabu completely no-sells it. I mean, when I say completely no-sells he, he kicks out at zero. Alex Wright backflips into a German suplex and my boy, Sabu, straight up no, straight up kicks out at zero. You know how hard it is to kick out at zero? And then from there, Sabu gets up with a no-sell, gets... Alex right up on like this Frankensteiner kind of thing. It's like a botched reverse Frankensteiner. And he hits it and gets the win. He doesn't give a shit about the actual match. And he keeps fighting. He keeps just throwing Das Vandakid all around the place. Throws him out of the ring. Sets up a table. And he hits one of the most dangerous looking spots I've ever seen in my entire life. Sabu goes from the top rope out of the ring. But he throws his shoulder at Das Vandakid's head. And, like, there's nowhere else for Wright to go. So Wright has to either decide, okay, well, I'm going to take this shoulder to the mouth, or I'm going to, you know, like break my neck going backwards off this bump. So he basically, Sabu basically throws his entire body off of a turnbuckle into Das Kid's head, and man, it is really nasty looking. Uh, Nick Patrick reverses his decision and retroactively disqualifies Sabu and gives Alex Wright the win. What the fuck did I just watch? Like, why... Why? why? Okay, so Sa- So, what do we get from this match? Sabu's in WCW. He's unhinged. He's he's insane. And Das Kid is super awesome. And I guess he's got an unblemished record. So, whatever. So, after that, Ric Flair makes his way to the ring. Go- Going from Sabu to Flair is, like, jarring on the senses. But Luger comes out. So, Luger comes out to interrupt Flair, Flair is in a suit, very Flair, and Luger is in full ring gear, baby oiled up from head to tippy toe. I'm not sure why the hell he's dressed like this, but Luger, all Luger says, he comes out and he basically says, he like laughs and says Flair is just too much and he leaves. Why did Luger come out? Why did we waste the time? This is only an hour show. Why did we waste time for Luger to run out into the ring just to leave? He ding-dong ditched Ric Flair, basically. I, 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 I don't understand. Every time I see Luger for 30 seconds, he ru- I mean, we've had two shows. Let's recap Luger. Luger runs out, or doesn't run He walks out after Sting and Flair, stares at the ring, goes back in the back. Then he runs out and saves Hogan from the Dungeon of Doom and talks to Hogan. Now, he comes out and talks to Flair for 20 seconds and goes back. I mean, he's going up and down the ramp more than anybody in the company. So we go back to Bischoff, Mongo, and Heenan. And it's kind of funny because, like I told you on the first episode, they're kind of working through this this technical stuff. And you can tell that they're having trouble with like cues and timing. And every single time uh, Mongo is about to say something, Bischoff cuts him off and they go to the ring. It is the best classic freaking Mongo Oh, man, I love it. Like Mongo, you can like he he looks like he wants to say something so bad, and Bischoff just slings it right back to the ring, and I stand interrupting Mongo. So this weekend is War Games, the first pay per view, Fall Brawl War Games, and this is kind of how I was telling you the last episode where they have storylines in place. We're only two weeks out from the start to War Games. You know, this is the go home show for their first pay per view. Big deal. And this is the first time they were actually hearing about the match. So the the main event of that is going to be the actual War Games match, where if you don't know what a War Games match is, it is two rings, both entrapped in like a hell-in-a-cell steel cage with a roof on it. And you get, I think, four people. Yeah, you get four people in the ring, and they come in. It's like the, it's like the Elimination Chamber. Like they, they come in at a certain time interval, like every two minutes someone comes in, whatever. So it's going to be Hogan, Savage, and Sting, and they're taking on the Dungeon of Doom. And if Hogan, Team Hogan wins the Postomaniacs, then Hogan gets five minutes with uh, the Taskmaster. Next up, here's the U.S. Championship on the line. Mr. Wall Street, so he changed his name. Uh, one week, big, <laughs> big situation there. So he changed his name from Mr. Wall Street to VK Wall Street. No idea what the VK means. Who cares? And he's taken on... The man they call Sting. Sting is still neoned out. Still Sting in the Technicolor Dreamcoat. U.S. title on the line. Bischoff, this was interesting. So he makes a little remark about the competition. And this is something he does all the time. So we all know the story of Tony Schiavone talking about Mick Foley and giving away the results of the finger of Doom Nitro and all that stuff. What I didn't realize was this happened from the jump. And they don't just do it with WWF. They do it with Monday Night Football. They do it with other TV shows. Mongo routinely will say something like, "Uh, The Chicago Bears are going to beat the Niners tonight, so don't even bother watching. Stay here. And it's like, you know, it it just seems weird. And They do it a lot. But this is the first time they've directly referenced WWF. And Bischoff says something like, um if you're thinking about switching the channel to check them out, don't bother. Shawn Michaels gets the win with a super kick. Hey by the way, in case you tap it to uh, grab the remote control, check out the competition, don't bother. It's two or three weeks old. Shawn Michaels beat the big guy with a super kick he's good and a green belt with, in a the YMCA. Stay right here. It's life It's where the action is. I guess that's the whole MO, and I guess that's I guess that's at that point kind of unheard of and kinda of like brash and it just seems it, it seems awful really like even watching in retrospect even knowing what happens it's just so so tryhardy, and it just makes them in my opinion it makes them look lesser you know you like I, I think in this situation it's better to just not reference your, your people like could you imagine if on, on Monday Night Raw they were like alright guys do not change the channel you don't want to go watch Impact do you don't go watch Impact stay here please You'd be thinking, why the hell does WWE care about Impact? But, yeah, it seems like a good idea to give away raw results, Eric. Keep it up, bro. Uh, Mongo and Heenan are kind of slowly, at this point, becoming my favorite part of the show because of just how bad Mongo is and how good Heenan is. I mean, every single joke that Heenan makes, Mongo just doesn't get it. Like, Mongo is so focused on his script. He's so focused on his cues and what he has to say that he does I don't he's I'm not even sure he's listening to Heenan. In this situation, Mongo makes a reference to Reggie White and Heenan asks, Oh, is that Barry White's brother? Just, you know, just like a just like a throwaway line, like every you don't it's it's rhetorical. You don't even have to say anything. It's just a little funny, Oh, that's that's Barry White's brother, you know. And then but Mongo says, Yeah, uh yeah, Barry, Bobby, something like that. What, what's it really matter? And Heenan kinda of pauses and he's like, Yeah, you're right, uh, doesn't really matter, huh? be a football player. A lot of my friends Reggie White, to name one of the greatest of all time. We all are wrestling fans. We don't watch football. Get him we watch not wrestling. Him. Get him Reggie White, is his brother Barry White? Bobby, Barry, whoever. Does not matter? No, it doesn't really matter. It's just classic Mongo. Oh, by the way, Sting wins with the crossbody off the top. Match was whatever. Totally irrelevant. VK, I mean, it's a good enough match, I guess, but Sting wins. Crossbody. This Sting... Because I know what's going to happen, this thing is almost like irrelevant to me. It's almost like I'm watching the prequel or something, or or, or a TV show before the actual TV show. I know that what I'm watching with Sting is going to have no bearing on the Sting I'm about to be watching for four years. So, not not super interested with that. So next up, Norton and Savage. Here we go, baby. Scott Norton. Uh, former former World Champion Arm Wrestler, by the way. Norton and Savage are up next. Dungeon of Doom comes out. And Macho attacks. Macho just goes in. Uh, Shark, Shark, the big slob he is, falls on Norton's legs. Which lets Macho hit the elbow and get the three. Norton no-sells it. Really fun finish. So, that may sound confusing. Because it is confusing. But... Shark falls on Norton's leg. So, Norton is trapped under Shark. Macho Man hits the elbow, because Norton can't move, and gets three count. Now, Norton should be selling this elbow, even though he got trapped. Even though he got trapped with it, he's still, it's still Macho Man's elbow. But Norton gets lost in the sauce and does not sell it at all. So, Norton <laughs> just kind of pops up, whatever, He's pissed off at Shark, pissed off for everybody, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, I guess it protects Norton, but I don't, like, why throw him in there with Macho Man? That's what I don't get. They do this all the time. they This is what I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast, where it's super hard for people to get over, because they have to deal with Macho Man and all these guys being on the show. There's no reason that Norton couldn't fight some other jobber. Let Norton fight VK Wall Street. Let Norton beat Wall Street or let Norton beat uh, Sabu. Like You don't have to have Macho Man come out and then have these wacky finishes to protect both people. But yeah, I mean, anytime you see Shark, it's fun. Next up is The Match. This is it, baby. Luger and Hulk for the title of the main event. It's Pasta Mania time, baby! The Bischoff makes another jab at the WWF, says nine days ago Luger was wrestling in the WWF but wanted to quit wasting his time and decided to come where the big boys play. And that they say that a lot, obviously. It's kind of similar. I never really realized it until watching this match. But it's pretty similar how... Or it's pretty crazy how similar Hogan and Luger are. They're kind of... If you could combine them... is probably what Hogan was meant to be. And what Luger was meant to be. Luger has the look that they probably wish Hogan had. But he has no charisma... And Hogan ha- has all the charisma. And Hogan is big. But it wasn't until Hollywood Hulk Hogan where Hogan gets like lean and shredded and all that stuff. At this point, and even, even earlier in his career, he's just kind of a big fluffy dude. Like he's he's big. I mean, he has, the, you know, whatever, 20, 22 inch pythons and all that stuff. But Hogan was never jacked out of his mind. And, I mean, Luger at this point is shredded and ripped. So, you know, you, you'd think you think that uh, one of them would see, I guess Luger is probably the one who could get like a rub from Hogan and say, oh, maybe I should be more charismatic. Maybe I should quit being Lex Luger and be a little more Ho- like Hogan. So Luger gets Hogan in the torture rack and shakes him lifeless. This is a weird spot. Again, they're protecting both people here, but it comes off looking ridiculous. Like WCW does not want people to lose unless they're a big boss man. So Luger gets Hogan in the torture rack. And he's shaking him, shaking him, shaking him. There's no way Hogan gets out of this at this point. I mean, he's he's fooked. And L- Hogan goes limp. When Hogan goes limp, Luger drops Hogan and thinks he won. So Luger drops Hogan and thinks he won. Hogan hulks up and delivers the boot and the leg drop. Now just when Hogan is about to win, we think, the Dungeon of Doom attacks. All the Dungeon of Doom is out and Savage and Sting rushed down Even though Savage was said to have been injured In his match with Norton uh, During the match they were referencing that Savage may have a hurt back And they talk about how Norton's so powerful And that he's going to break Savage's back And I think that was something he did in New Japan Was he kind of It was like part of his gimmick? he was hurting wrestlers Because he was so strong And uh, So even though Savage is hurt he's, he's cool now so he's running out Saves Hogan So let's go back to the, the Hogan-Luger finish this is this like, I, I just don't understand at this point why this was the decision. I mean, they have all these stars and they pit them all against each other nonstop, but they protect each other nonstop while simultaneously they're trying to make me invest in this, like, Hogan and his boys versus the Dungeon of Doom. So if you think about it, I, in two weeks, or really just one week, Monday to Monday, I'm sitting here, I've got Hogan, he's wrestling Big Bubba Rogers, then the Doom then the Dungeon of Doom comes out and attacks him. Then for some reason Hogan tells Luger he can get a title shot. Then the next week he's fighting Luger, but then the Doom Dungeon of Doom comes out again. Like it's all over the place. Sting has fought VK Wall Street, fought Flair. You know, it's just Savage is fighting Norton for some reason and he's he's you know, so very sloppy, very sloppy riding. For the second week in a row, we get the end shot being Hogan staying Savage Luger with Mean Jean. Mean Jean just pops in the ring for the interview. Uh, Vader this is something else we learned right here. Vader was supposed to be the fourth man in Hogan's team, but Vader can't get his visa from Japan. So Vader is stuck overseas. We have not seen Vader or heard from Vader. I didn't even know Vader was in the WCW at this point. But Vader was going to be Hogan's fourth, but I think he was still wrestling in J- New Japan or still had a contract with them or something, and he can't get back. I don't know if that's kayfabe. I don't know if that's a work or what, but Vader is AWOL. Cannot be there. Also, kind of they, they really harp on the fall brawl war games. Like, everything is camouflage. Everything is... Uh, he's going AWOL or, or whatever. So, Sting tells Hulk... They need a fourth member. Why not Luger? Savage protests and says, no way, or uh as Savage would say, no way, brother. Sting votes yes. Hogan gives Luger a chance and offers him the fourth spot. Luger agrees on one condition. He wants a title shot with Hogan down the line. This um this is something like this is more of the same as the first episode, right? So I don't have a problem with him ending the show like this. But it's actually really interesting. This is more that Sting Hogan stuff that I was talking about. This is more of Sting saying, Hogan, come on, buddy. You can trust us. You can trust me. As long as we're doing this together, we can win. We can beat people as long as we trust each other and give each other second chances. And Hogan, oh, okay, that sounds good. And I know, and you know, and everyone knows that Hogan is about to do the biggest double cross in history. So the foundation for this is being set of Trust other people, stay on the same team, keep a level head, whatever, and you can come out victorious. So this is just, again, I don't know if it's intentional, I don't know if it's WCW just being WCW and falling into this, but it's very poetic, very interesting, very interesting to say. The talking heads end the show, and in some kind of running Mongo joke. He ends every show holding a small dog. It's like a little chihuahua. <sighs> classic freaking mongo. So this is the go home show. So this is a lot's been rushed. We've we now are through two nitros, forty-five minutes each, and a lot has has happened. And a lot of it is a lot of it is kind of the same. Like all the Dungeon of Doom run-ins, I mean, we've had at this point like three so we've had about three run-ins. And we're just set up for Fall Brawl. So we have to get to Fall Brawl. We have to get to War Games. And we can finally deal with this Hogan Dungeon of Doom scenario. And then hopefully get on with the getting on. And actually get to to the actual meat meat and potatoes of of what's going to happen. Something that is very parallel is Flair. Flair, and parallel to like nowadays. So AEW... I always reference AEW with WCW and it's just going to be a thing because AEW is a new, you know, a new federation, and and they're they're using some of these same tactics. They're not using like homegrown AEW products. They went out and got huge free agents like Kenny Omega. Flair is very similar to Omega in the first couple of weeks here of Nitro. Flair does not need to be beating people. He does not need to be having matches. He does not need to be selling himself. He's Rick Flair. He's the 11-time world champion. He is God, and everyone knows it. So Flair is there, and he lets you know he's there, like with this promo and you know with the Sting match and, and some of that stuff. But Flair is not in the title picture. He's not even in the U.S. title picture. He's really kind of doing nothing. I mean, the Arn Anderson thing is his thing, and they're going to fight it for fall, fall Brawl. But that's really about it. Just like Omega you know omega with AEW when he first went in there he was really kind of just putting people over kind of doing his thing losing he, he really wasn't he wasn't the same dominant Kenny Omega that was winning the New Japan World Championship just like this Flair isn't the same Ric Flair that's winning every championship under the sun it's interesting that this kind of same thing happens where the super established guy the guy that doesn't need the push, doesn't need the limelight just now. Like take a step back and just be the concrete. Just solidify the show, and that's all Flair's doing, and it works. It really does work because you feel you feel how deep the roster is whenever you have like Hogan, Savage, Luger, Sting. You know, then you see Sabu and and Alex Wright, and then you get some Scott Norton. And then all of a sudden, Flair pops up with Arn Anderson. You're like, oh man, yeah, they, they also have Flair. So it makes the roster feel deeper. And I wonder, I mean, Flair, to Flair's credit, he has definitely, you know, put his ego aside, I guess. He's put his ego aside, and it's working out better for WCW. And I think Kenny Omega made the right choice with AEW, where he didn't, he doesn't. If Flair wins the title, then who's. Who's taking off Flair? So then all of a sudden you, you know, I mean it's just it's just a different it's a different kind of wrestler, and you can tell the difference in people like Flair and Luger, where Luger needs he needs to be beating people and he needs to be wrestling and he needs to be elevated and he needs to be in these big spots, and Flair just doesn't. Flair Flair can Flair can do his thing with um, a promo. So next week is Fall Brawl in Asheville, North Carolina, the first pay-per-view. The pay-per-views are three hours long. So they're straight-up regular pay-per-views. And I have already watched the entire thing. So we will have a full recap of Fall Brawl uh, on here. So we're going to do, like I said, we're going to do Nitros, pay-per-views, and Thunders. and see how it goes. The Nitros are really easy to get through, like 45 minutes of wrestling. The, the pay-per-view... Like I said, I've already watched this fall brawl. The pay-per-view's long. I mean, three hours is a long time. And you can't really fast forward it because I want to get the full the full thing. So yeah, the pay-per-views are kinda tough. But another fun fact was that WCW used to do seven pay-per-views a year, and Bischoff changed that to the more the more current pay per view per month um thing that we see now. But Nitro's second show, I would say was Probably better than the first. It was very similar. It was less video packages and less, you know, debuts. I guess, but it was solid. I mean, the Sabu Alex Wright match was was whatevs, and Sabu was really bad. Alex Wright was really good. More of the same with Luger, Hogan, all them, and it's just a lot to pump into a one hour show. It really is. And when you have Savage or whoever, it doesn't have to be Savage, but when you have multiple people from Hogan's team dealing with the Dungeon of Doom multiple times on a 45-minute show, it feels like that's all that's happening. Is It feels like, okay, well, now we have a totally pointless match between Alex Wright and Sabu, and now we have a match with Team Hogan, and the Dungeon of Doom will obviously come out. Oh, yep, there they are. And here comes the save. Oh, and there it is. So... Right now, that's really all that's happening in Nitro. Is you get these little break matches, and then you get um, someone from the Pasta Maniacs fighting the Dungeon of Doom, and they're running and they're run out, and that's it. So, but that's that's um, that's to be expected, I guess. They have they can't have a million storylines, you know. You can't have you can't have you can't have everything happening on a one hour show. So I've actually kind of enjoyed it. I've actually kind of enjoyed it so far. The broadcast team is. I think getting worse because Mongo's getting worse, but Heenan Heenan is unbelievable. He's so good. He's so funny. Heenan, Heenan is hilarious. I, he's he's a he's like funny, but he's not funny wrestling funny. He's generally like comedian level funny. He's not trying to be funny as far as it goes with what's in the ring. He's trying to be funny just as a stand up damn comedian, and it works, man. I, I, he's super super good. They fall short because. Bischoff, they don't have a two. You know, Heenan's carrying it, but they don't have. Bischoff isn't really a very good play by play person, and Mongo, as we established, is awful. So it's. Heenan is A, but Heenan's A in the comedic timing. There's no one on the booth that's A in anything else, and that, that makes the product kind of hurt a little bit. Bischoff seems like. I don't know if this was actually happening, but Bischoff seems like. He's commentating while running the show, and maybe that was actually happening, and maybe that's why it comes off like that, but he makes it seem like he's super worried about other stuff. He's super worried about the schedule and the pacing and the matches and backstage, and then he's also commentating, so who knows, but I'm not sure if that's actually how it was. But Nitro, week two, damn good, live from Miami. I I like it in an actual arena. Makes me feel like I'm watching wrestling and not some some guys in a food court. But the next episode, I will see you in Asheville, North Carolina for the very first pay-per-view of the Nitro-era Fall Brawl War Games. Can the Pasta Maniacs beat the Dungeon of Doom? We will find out next episode.